Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your podcasts. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset, a daily dose of what's happening in Chicago and around the world. Survivors and families of victims of the Highland Park massacre want to go to court. They've filed a series of lawsuits against parties they say share responsibility for the, quote, preventable attack. They named gunmaker Smith & Wesson, two gun stores, the man charged in the shooting, as well as the shooter's father. The suits claim that those parties enabled the shooter to carry out the attack at Highland Park's 4th of July parade, where seven people were killed and nearly 50 were injured. Joining us now with more details is Lynn Sweet, Washington Bureau Chief for the Chicago Sun-Times. Lynn, let's start with who filed these lawsuits. Well, there were 11 suits in all filed in Lake County, and they represent about 40 plaintiffs in all. There is going to be at least one more suit uh, filed. So the people who, when I say some 40-plus, eventually... It's not only the people who were directly physically impacted or the estates of people who died. It is also, in some cases, family members who are suffering from emotional distress as a result of the massacre. So these dozens of people, Lynn, what are they hoping to achieve with the lawsuits? I'm using the vague word accountability. For some, uh, there, there is the restitution at issue is always going to be, for some people, uh, accountability in that you want to hold Smith & Wesson responsible because at the start of however this happened, the lawsuits argue it was the gun maker. So the money is dealt with this way in the lawsuits. There is a request for a jury trial with an unspecified amount of damages. Now, this is way down the line before we get to it, but if you analyze the statements that the lawyers and the victims made. There is a sense that they want to use this horrific tragedy to force some change in the way that weapons of mass destruction, such as a rapidly firing weapon that the accused shooter used, mm-hmm. uh, that they are not marketed in a way to attract young, troubled male. Yeah. Let's talk more about that. The suits claim gunmaker Smith & Wesson's marketing tactics are aimed at young, impulsive men by uh, appealing to their propensity for risk and excitement. That's a direct quote there. What tactics are they talking about specifically, Lynn? Very specifically, social media. If you look at the social media that uh, the suspected shooter uh, was involved in and pictures of that are in the lawsuit. And we've talked about that in articles uh, in the Sun-Times and other places. He was deeply involved in uh, a world of video games, violent video games. He made videos of himself uh, dressed sometimes almost as a uh, combat, ready for combat, in, you know, in bulletproof vests and stuff in violent situations. The, what he did, the lawsuit argues, was inspired by and mimicked some of the video games out there, and here's the connection. The uh, legal argument will be that Smith & Wesson, uh, on some of these sites, uh, advertised or marketed 
in connection with these games. Another interesting legal theory they have is that in analyzing the uh, mindset of these young, impressionable males, by marketing uh, the weapon the shooter used, an a- the Smith & Wesson M&P-15, mm-hmm. now the M&P stands for military and police, it, it kind of reinforces uh, some notion that they become part of the military. The lawsuit notes that is deceptive. This is not a weapon the military uses. You cannot call it that. You, can, you should not to market it as such as deceptive, which goes to another major theory of the lawsuit, is this is in state court with the allegation that Smith & Wesson violated Illinois consumer law mm-hmm. in deceptive and fraudulent marketing. What role does the suits claim that the gun stores are playing in all this? Ah, good question. So the gun stores are two of them, one an online retailer based out of state and one in Lake County. The argument there is that the stores knew or should have known that the billing address where the accused shooter was in Highland Park or Highwood, these are two places where you cannot possess an assault weapon. So the suit says they have responsibility because they sold a weapon to a person who cannot possess it in the place where they live. Hmm. Yeah, also at issue here is that the alleged shooter couldn't get a gun himself because of his past threats to kill his family and to kill himself, but his father helped. He helped him overcome that. How did he do that, Lynn? Remind us. Yes, so to, to try and put it most simply, the, the nine, a 19-year-old person needs the signature of, of an adult who will accept liability, and this is a point in life in the lawsuit, for anything that happens if they sign for a, uh, a FOID permit. That's the paperwork you need to legally buy a weapon. Right. That the father knew, it, the, that the father knew of the son's violent past, that he attempted to kill himself and kill his family, means that the father knew or should have known that this is not a person for whom you sign a gun permit. And if you do, you have to be held accountable for doing it. Mm -hmm. So, Lynn, have the gun stores and Smith & Wesson or even the shooter's father, have they made any statements at all about these lawsuits yet? No, there is no reaction to the lawsuits. Now, a few months ago now, during the arraignment for the shooter up in Waukegan, where the Lake County Court is and the jail where he's being held, his parents showed up at the arraignment, and they had a lawyer who represented them who said that they want to cooperate. These lawsuits, I think, will test what that means to cooperate. Mm. The way a civil lawsuit proceeds, and again, let me back up a moment. This civil lawsuits, this batch of civil lawsuits pending are, are... going through the system at the same time that the criminal system is also pursuing charges against the suspected shooter. So is, so that, you is have this going to have impact? Uh, they're related and unrelated. The aim of the civil suits is to get a deposition from defendants, including the shooter. My, uh, my analysis is, knowing how civil suits work, 
if the, the shooter pled not guilty, it would be easy enough to put off giving a deposition. And somebody has the right, even an accused murderer, of taking the Fifth Amendment at a deposition. Mm-hmm. So I think these are two tracks that are that that this is on, that this Highland Park uh, legal actions are taking. And I think they really only dovetail in when information may come out in one case or the other I see. Uh, that impacts uh, the proceedings. Mm-hmm. No word yet, you said, from, from the shooter's father uh, on this, but I, I know previously he did say he doesn't regret vouching for his son to get that gun and that he was following the law. And having, you know, I spent most of the summer in Highland Park talking to people who were shot, otherwise impacted, and the amount of anger against this father is measurable. The idea that any parent, knowing of a child's uh, state of mind, knowing that there were threats to kill himself and his family, why you you would allow this uh, child to accumulate what the lawsuit called, quote, an arsenal, close quote, is beyond the, the thought of uh, almost everyone. Because starting at age 19, when he had the permission to buy weapons, he did. The M&P 15 used in the Highland Park July 4th Parade Massacre was the first weapon he bought, but he bought others. Right. And I think the idea, since he lived with his dad or mom uh, during this time, his mother lives in Highland Park, his dad in Highwood, there are no other addresses for him. You know, the idea that uh, this signing of the card led to a 19-year-old with this, well, you know, this is a, a real easy thing to have found out, that he was involved in this violent video world. Yeah. Uh, he had uh, in one video, and, and you know, in the line of duty, I saw them. So many of them, you know, he had uh, a very ugly one in, in, involving a, 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 you know, violence to a woman. Now it was a, a doll, but my goodness, you could tell that's a disturbed person. And what parent would then mm-hmm. uh, not be concerned if that person who created these videos? And these were uh, all online and accessible. Oh yeah, the point of the of what I think uh, one could get from the father. He, he's, he doesn't have any assets to go over, no, no money. Uh, last time I checked, his home in Highwood was under foreclosure. So there's a financial struggle going on there. But I think uh, a deposition, yeah. to have him testify in court, is something that people want to know. I mean, there's all, at, at so many places, maybe this could have been prevented. One of the lines that one of the lead attorneys, uh, Anthony Romanucci, said is that, it, to sum up this case, it, it was predictable and preventable. Mm-hmm. The lawsuit language uses a variation on it. It was foreseeable and preventable. And that is why so many of the plaintiffs, in their statements, said mm-hmm. they want to see if they could use this horrific thing that has forever changed your lives to at least find some way to get some good out of it. One way, one quick way of doing it, they say, is to get an injunction, this is in one lawsuit, to get Smith & Wesson to stop marketing their weapons on uh, violent video game sites. Yeah, that would be a start. Uh, I want to go back to the uh, FOID card that you mentioned, right? The firearm owner's identification card. What might stop someone from attaining one, Lynn? Well, uh, one being underage. That's 
an easy one, uh, if you don't pass the background check. And uh, that's another. And I don't know every item that you have to pass in a background check in terms of having a clean record uh, on it or if some things in your past would uh, prevent it. One of the, in a sense, I don't know if it's even right to call this a loophole, but when the police in Highland Park came to the home of the shooter uh, on the day when they collected machetes and knives uh, from the house, uh, they did make a report to the state. I forget what the term is uh, to say this is this happened, but we don't have systems where then this report goes in perpetuity in a place where somebody applying for a firearm permit would be denied it as a result of that. Yeah. Uh, there are some steps that the state has taken to try and address that, but uh, mm. that, you know, having um, incidents in your life where the police were called when you're a minor to say you have some violent behavior, uh, that is not right now a disqualifying factor, if that's what you're getting at in yeah, your question. for sure. And just looking ahead here, but while I have you, and, and, and before I let you go, Lynn, I wonder the implications that these suits could have for gun makers and, and stores that sell guns if weapons from future shootings are linked back to them. Well, we will see. There is a February judgment settlement that is very important in the gun prevention litigation world where there is a $73 million settlement Remington made with the families of nine people killed in Sandy Hook in that Newtown, Connecticut lane. They used, as a predicate of their lawsuit, that Remington violated Connecticut consumer law. Now, that is a landmark case that the Illinois cases are building on. And as one of the lawyers for the group Everytown, which is a leading litigation uh, leader in the gun prevention uh, law world, the point was made that these big cases for tobacco, to change in, in how you sell tobacco, how you sell opioids, mm -hmm. you have to build case after case. So maybe this will make a gun store even think twice now about selling a weapon to somebody who lives in the community where you're not supposed to possess them. Mm. Lynn Sweets, the Washington Bureau Chief for the Chicago Sun-Times. Thank you so much for joining us, Lynn. Thank you, Sasha. This episode of Reset was produced by Brenda Ruiz and edited and mixed by Meha Ahmed. If you liked this episode, subscribe to this podcast for more. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I discovered authors I had never heard of and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts.